Hey everyone, thanks for joining Hope Church uh, online again this week. We um, have had to cancel Hope on the Hill. We've been meeting outside at uh, Oak Hall for the last few weeks, but the great British weather has um, come through again this week and we've been rained off. Um, so we've had to cancel it this week. So here I am back in the church building and uh, we had an online service on Zoom this morning. Sorry if you missed that, but if you did, then you at least get to catch up on the Luke series uh, now. So we're going to be carrying on in Luke, uh, Luke 14, 25 to 35 today. Uh, before we do that, just want to remind you about Alpha that's carrying on. We're only in week two this week. It's not too late for you to join or your friends to come along and join. You can come along with your friends online via Zoom. Come along and ask the great big questions of life about God, uh, Christianity, suffering, what is going on in the world today? Come and ask those questions. Uh, contact uh, alpha at hopechurch7oaks.org if you want to find out more details about that. Uh, so we're going to be carrying on in Luke 14, 25 to 35, as you can see, coming to Jesus on his terms. And what we're looking at today is a real challenge to our view of Christianity. And let me ask a question at the beginning. Are you willing to come to Jesus on his terms? What we're looking at today is how Jesus did evangelism, how people responded to that as well. And not just prayed a prayer one day and then got on with the rest of their life, raised their hands in a meeting, but how Jesus is calling for a response, not just to believe in him, but to follow him. Almost what we're reading today, it's like Jesus is not interested in a crowd of people. He has a crowd here, it says at the beginning, following him. And it's almost like he turns to them and says, are you sure you're in the right place? Are you sure you want to be here? If you do, let me ask you these questions. So let's start from verse 25 to 27. Let's read the first few verses. It says this, now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife children brothers and sisters yet even his own life he cannot be my disciple whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple this is how jesus does evangelism it's not just come to Jesus and everything will be all right. Come to Jesus and you'll be happy. Come to Jesus and you'll get really good stuff. Now, and this isn't just the disciples that he's talking to, trying to go a bit deeper with them. No, these are the people that are looking in. These are people that might come to a, an Alpha launch event. These are people that might come to a social event that you might put on. And Jesus is saying, do you sure, are you sure you want to be here? What does he say? Verse 26 to 27, he says, will you pick up your cross? Will you hate your family, hate your own life? Oh, Jesus, this is not very friendly. If you cannot, you cannot be my disciple. It's not two types of Christianity that Jesus is talking about here. It's either his way or no way. He's not talking about one type of Christian that is a disciple who follows him and lives out these principles and another type of Christian that 
just goes to church and occasionally reads his Bible and says they believe in God. No, Jesus says, if you are to be a Christian, if you are to be a disciple, these are the principles that you need to put in place. You must love him. So, have you ever come to Jesus on his terms? Even if you've been coming to church for 50 plus years, have you ever come to Jesus on his terms? Your, your love for him must be far superior, far surpass your love for anything else. How does that look for you? We, we mustn't try and soften Jesus' words here to try and justify that the way that we live today in today's society, our westernised culture. We think about the first commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind, which then leads on to loving others, love your neighbour as yourself. We see that I, as I think about my own life, as the more I've set my affections upon Jesus, the better father, the better husband, the better friend, the better son I have become as a result. Your love for Jesus should drive everything that you do. I'm not talking about begrudging obedience here either. This is beyond Bible reading or praying or church attendance. This is pure love for Jesus, seeking him first. But instead we can fall into this trap where we idolise our kids or our marriages or our relationships or stuff. They're what we put first. But Jesus calls us to hate even our own life. Jesus calls us to follow him. If you walk through the door right now, wherever you are, who walk through that door right now, and he, and he said, come with me, you, we would be so caught up and say, Jesus says, of course we follow you. And then as he leads you out of the door, he says, come with me. Oh, but you need to pick up this instrument of torture to carry it, to come with me. I wonder if there'd be any takers. But we need to die to the life we live. Die to our own dreams. Die to our own ambitions. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then as we move on, Jesus uses two parables, two illustrations to uh, tell us that we, what we need to consider. Jesus is up front as people come to look in, when they're urging others to come to him. And so must we. So from verse 28, it says, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it, Otherwise, when he laid the foundation is not, and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man has begun to build and was not able to finish. Or, what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 men to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, if anyone who, of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. 
Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use for the soil or the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What we see here is Jesus being truthful. Satan and Jesus. Satan shows his best and hides his worst. But Christ shows his best and his worst. And here Jesus is saying, count the cost of following me. Carry a cross. Renounce your possessions. There is no small print on the covenant of grace. This is not cheap grace. This is very costly indeed. Come and be my disciple, Jesus says. But Satan, you see, the devil, the world, the flesh, hides its worst and only shows its best. Come and enjoy the fleeting pleasures of this world. Right from the beginning, there's this battle of, uh, for our soul and we decide who, ha- let, who we let win for that battle because Jesus has already won the battle for our sin. We just need to accept it. Satan says right at the beginning in Genesis, you will surely not die. It's that tempting, that deceiving, making us think, does God really know what's best? Does God really love us? He offered it all to Jesus in Matthew. He says, I'll give you all these things if you worship me. Satan, the world, the flesh, says the same to us on the back page. Come, all of these things are good and they're they're good things that can make you happy. But on the small print on the back page, after we've been sucked into these fleeting, passing pleasures, on the small print it says, Enjoy these fleeting pleasures, but after you will suffer with me forever in hell. Satan's best will never counterbalance his worst, but Christ's will abundantly counterbalance. And this call to discipleship is a call to self-denial. It's a call to the banquet that we've been looking at in the previous weeks. He says there'll be hardships, but he will help us endure. He says he will give us his Holy Spirit. He tells us that even if we were to die for the sake of the kingdom, that not even a hair on our head will perish. Romans 8.18 says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And Jesus says in verse 28 to 33 that we should count the cost. If you're desiring to build something, you would... Work out if you had enough money to finish building. If you were going into battle, you'd work out if you were going to win the fight. How many have we seen walk away from this faith in Jesus because it's too hard or because it's too much of a sacrifice or because we think, I'm not sure if this is worth it because people haven't actually counted the cost. John Stott Christian theologian says this in one of his books. The Christian landscape is strewn with the wreckage of derelict half-built towers. The ruins of those who began to build and were unable to finish. For thousands of people still ignore Christ's warning and undertake to follow him without first pausing to reflect on the cost of doing so. The result is the great scandal of Christendom today, so-called 
nominal Christianity. In countries to which Christian civilization has spread, large numbers of people have covered themselves with a decent but thin veneer of Christianity. They've allowed themselves to become somewhat involved, enough to be respectable, but not enough to be uncomfortable. Their religion is a great soft cushion. It protects them from the hard unpleasantness of life while changing its place and shape to suit the convenience. No wonder cynics speak of hypocrites in the church and dismiss religion as escapism. So actually this is a, a question for us all to consider. If we were to live this way, where we love, serve, honour Jesus above everything else, then surely we would reach more people. Surely we would serve more people in poverty. Are we ready for battle? Are we like the king, assessing whether he would win or not? Hebrews 10, 32 to 39 says, Recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, you, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. What we need to do is assess this. Does Jesus, will Jesus ultimately satisfy? And what we often think is his stuff does. Relationships satisfy. Houses, cars, careers, the things we fill our houses with. Ultimately, can we be satisfied in Christ? Can we ultimately be satisfied in Christ? If we were to do these things, if we were to surrender our possessions, if we were to die to our own life, do you think, honestly, you could be satisfied in Christ? Consider Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, rather choosing, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses considered the earthly riches compared to the reward that is waiting. Nothing. Those earthly rewards were nothing compared to what was waiting. And he, he was part of the richest nation on earth. And we can so easily get sucked into this life. And thinking this life is it, thinking there is nothing else, rather than thinking about what is next, or that Jesus might actually return because he will. This goes beyond just attending church and believing in God. Jesus is saying, will you follow me? If so, will you put Christ first every day, every hour, every minute? Will you love each other? Will you love his church, his bride? Will you love those who are lost? Will you love those who are in poverty? 
Jesus didn't die on the cross so you could enjoy the pleasures of this life, but that we could enjoy being strangers and sojourners in a foreign land. We were meant for somewhere else. This is not our home. Eternity is our home, if you're a Christian. And there's a great banquet, and Jesus is our reward. We shouldn't think of heaven either of getting better stuff, that we'll get to this place and we'll have nicer houses and we'll be in less pain and we'll <clears throat> get all these great things. No, when we get to heaven, our great reward is Jesus. The superior love you receive from Jesus now as well is so superior to anything you can receive on earth. Jesus is always faithful. This is the smart decision. Jesus suffered loss so that we can receive everything. If we think we can't do this, if we think it's too costly, what does Jesus say here at the end? We are like salt that's lost its saltiness. Salt is good, but it has lost its taste. How can it be restored? It's of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. C.S. Lewis said, we are far too easily pleased. We're like children playing in the mud, making mud pies when there's a holiday on offer to the sea. We need to look to Jesus. He is the great reward. Looking to Jesus, the founder and author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So let me ask you again, have you ever come to Jesus on his terms? Have you moved away from putting comfort first, pursuing him first? You can do that now. You can do that. I've been praying this week. How can I do that? How can I know you, Lord? How can I seek you first? Help me die to my things. Help me die to earthly stuff. At a time now, you can come to him, seek him. He's created you. He's created you to, with gifts as well, to serve others. As you seek him first, he'll start to speak to you and show you where your place is in life, where he wants you to serve others, where he wants you to serve in his bride, the church. How can you serve the kingdom? <clears throat> How can you serve through the church in your daily life? It's not just about attending. When we set our focus upon Jesus, or when we start to put him first, when we start to change our mindsets of other things are more important, when Jesus starts to speak into our soul, into our heart, we become part of this family, his church. And we have gifts that he's given us to start to serve in his church. It's not about attending church, about giving money to pay the leaders to do the stuff. That the job of the leaders is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The time of critiquing the church of what it does and doesn't do well has come to an end. Be part of a family. Where can you get involved? Where can you seek to love the community you're in using the gifts that God has given you? to 
move on and put him first. Come to him on his terms. Let him speak to you about what he's got for you, what his plans are for you. Then ultimately you will be satisfied. Ultimately you will find the love that we have all been searching for. All have that hole and deep hole within us. Come to him. Come to that author and perfecter. Are you ready to die to your own life? Are you ready to come to him? I'm going to pray now. I'm going to ask God to come and speak to us. I'm going to ask God to speak to me as I do that. And I'm going to ask him to speak to you. Father God, we thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, live in a way in such that our, our love for our family and friends looks like hate because we love you so much more. So much more. Jesus, help us put you first in our life. Help us not get distracted by the ways of this world. Lord Jesus, and as we do that, I pray you will speak to us. Pray you will uh, awaken in us those gifts that you've given us to serve your church, your body. And as we do that, we can reach the lost and the broken. And we see your kingdom come and your will be done. Amen. Amen. I hope you've found that helpful. I hope God is speaking to you about that. Um, we are going to dig into this a bit deeper this week. On Thursday um, at 8pm on Zoom, we are going to uh, do an impromptu Bible study. So the details will come out this week via email um, and we'll probably put some details on our social media as well. Just love to see you there uh, where we can just dig into the word of God. What's God saying in these verses to us? And I hope to see you there. Hope you have a good week and uh, we'll see you soon. We're going to aim to do Hope on the Hill again next Sunday. Hopefully the weather.